Greetings, everyone. This is Rico, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. This is show 613 for December 4th, 2016. On this week's edition of the show, you're going to hear something kind of special uh, that has not been heard for a long time. Uh, I am going to play uh, a repeat for you, but it's something a little unusual. This is from back in 2009. We used to, on the Treks and Sci-Fi forum, do a RPG game where we were writing stories based on characters we had created uh, as sort of alternate personas of ourselves, and and, uh, Jen was pretty uh, heavily involved in that, and and a bunch of others. Kenny, who, who did a show called The Ready Room, Well, what I'm going to play for you here, uh, and again, a bunch of others on the forum, we used to write, like I said, stories on there, ongoing stories, uh, and about our uh, ship and and the crew and our adventures. Anyway, so uh, during the course of the ready room uh, and and later on, towards the kind of towards the end of it, I believe, there was a little uh, bit of audio drama produced called Star Trek Boldly which included some music and effects and things like that that, uh, that Jen put together. And, and it's really cool, and I wanted to play that for you again. This is, uh, I'm going to play both parts. It was released in two parts, and it's, and it's not, I think it kind of ends a little bit uh, on a cliffhanger, I guess, of sorts, even after the second part. But they're each about 40 minutes approximately long, so this is going to be an hour and 20 minutes-ish. Of, of Star Trek drama for you uh, about us. And I think you guys will get a kick out of it. If you've never heard it before, th- this is why I'm releasing it. And, uh, and if it's interest, you know, if it find you find it interesting, you, you can go back in the archives on Treks and Sci-Fi and, and find all the ready rooms. This, the Star Trek Boldly, was released back in 2009. So uh, I'm not going to give you too much more right now. Uh, I, I guess the only other thing I'll say is they released another teaser trailer to Guardians of the Galaxy, which which is super cool. That just came out yesterday. So uh, also check a Vimeo, Vimeo.com, V-I-M-E-O.com forward slash Trekkie, and you will see a new video I put up based on the DC crossover shows this past week uh, i think you guys will get a kick out of that if you watch the uh shows like arrow flash supergirl legends of tomorrow and all that so um that's about it um and you can always support the podcast of course if you go over to patreon.com forward slash treks in sci-fi uh that's where you can uh, support the show donate a dollar to a month or something to support the podcast so without any further ado here is star trek boldly uh, a ready room, I guess, production in a way, and, and it's based on our RPG game from the good old Trex and Sci-Fi Forum, which is still there, uh, and I still put a few little posts up there, and a few other people do, so I know most people are over on Facebook these days. So, with that, and I think I said so about a hundred times in this pre-intro. Uh, <laughs> All right, everyone, enjoy the upcoming uh, shopping, you know, for the holidays, and cooler weather and things and and holiday holiday cheer and all that so uh i'll talk to you again next week with a with a little bit more typical show gonna look at a, a trek episode next week on the podcast so here we go with star trek boldly star trek boldly before the uss arabella graced the void Captain Nathaniel Jacob Quinn commanded a mighty Akira-class starship known as the Tiberius. She was a beautiful vessel, 
crewed by an eclectic group of explorers who discovered strength in their diversity and courage amid tribulation. This is a telling of their valorous deeds and gallant sacrifices as they boldly faced their darkest challenge. Much like an extended series of sneezes, the sensation of laughter felt invigorating and at the same time very awkward. The unexpected emotion subsided gradually as the Vulcan woman choked it down to a cycle of muffled chuckles. A smile was all that lingered after Savril triumphed and subdued the uncouth outburst. The first officer shook her head once and raised her dark eyes to meet the captain's. <sighs> Forgive me, Captain. The very rare and beautiful smile slowly shrank as she acknowledged Nathan Quinn's stunned expression, which was fixed like a stone statue upon her. Quinn dropped into his chair. Are you okay, number one? At that, the last visage of a smile dissolved into her typically stoic air. I don't know. Underneath the mask of impassiveness, she felt embarrassment. Her brow furrowed as she looked down at the mess that she had made on the table. The water Savril had spilled, which began her eruption of emotion, dripped off the captain's table and onto the floor of his quarters. She lifted the towel from his slack hands. I can take care of this. Quinn eyed her curiously as she nervously tucked a long strand of hair behind one ear and cast her gaze back to the mess on the table. Have you had an outburst like this before? She looked up once more. Not since I was a child. Captain, I've been feeling on edge since shore leave. With the abduction of my father and the recovery mission, there has been little time for rest or meditation. Maybe that's it. Our trip to Vulcan should be uneventful. That should give you plenty of time to relax. Avoiding the captain's curious gaze, she asked, Are you sure you don't require assistance? No need. Are you ready for dessert? A smile returned to her lips once more. Dr. Ryla Dredd twirled a short lock of blonde hair with her index finger as she read Ensign Sherla's medical file. There weren't many families aboard Tiberius, and the obstetrics pediatric specialists liked it that way. Their low numbers allowed her to be more personable and involved in her patients' lives. Friendships were the best medicine in her opinion. The chief medical officer entered the sick bay. Good evening, Dr. Peterson. He returned the greeting and sauntered over to Krell to check on his status. Unfortunately, his condition hasn't changed since this morning, said Ryla as she crossed the floor to stand beside the Vulcan's bed. If the away team hadn't removed him from that place, the Romulans would have killed him. The mind probes severely damaged his brain, but it's not too soon to know if it has caused him any long-term impairment. Dr. Peterson nodded and turned his gaze from the comatose diplomat to the woman standing on the other side of Krell's bio-bed. Yes, I know. Thank you for holding down the fort. He turned towards his office and stopped. Running his hand through his brown hair, he turned back to Dr. Dredd. One of my roles as chief medical officer is to broaden my staff's medical expertise. You're already an accomplished physician, Dr. Dredd, 
but acquiring other specialties will ensure promotion. I'd like you to bone up on Vulcan neurology and help me come up with a treatment for Krell. I'll assign Nurse Christine to assist you. Of course, I will oversee your work and aid you when necessary. He noted the Trill's nervous expression. I know neurology is not your specialty, but I believe it's important for physicians such as ourselves to occasionally step out of our comfort zones. Does this opportunity interest you, Doctor? Ryla was specialized in a field that very few physicians bothered with. She chose it because of that reason. It made her a valuable staff member. It wouldn't hurt to expand her knowledge in order to better herself, but one couldn't be great at everything they studied. But perhaps she would be more help to Peterson if she accepted his offer. Yes. Thank you, Doctor. I will accept, but I don't know about finding the treatment for Krell. Vulcan neurology isn't something you bone up on. It's a specialty that takes many surgeons decades to master. I would be happy to assist you, but I doubt I would be capable of finding the key to his treatment simply by reading over files on the subject. She tucked the blanket around Krell tighter as she continued. Commander Savril told me that we are taking her father back to Vulcan so that he can be assessed by a Vulcan master. When she looked up, she noticed Dr. Peterson had closed his eyes and was massaging his temples. Are you okay, Doctor? Casey Peterson forced a smile. Hmm. It's just a headache. Probably just a result of all the overtime I've been putting in lately. I know it may seem overwhelming, but I would not have asked if I thought it was too much for you. Ryla nodded and watched him walk to his office. When she turned back to her patient, Dr. Peterson took the opportunity to open his desk drawer and removed a small flask that he kept for just such occasions. He lifted the authentic Saurian brandy to his lips, took a shot, and closed his eyes until the throbbing in his head subsided. Secluded in his dimly lit quarters, Lieutenant Catan was finding it difficult not to stare at the mirror. Try as he might, he couldn't escape the feeling that the person peering back at him was a stranger. It had almost been a week since the medtechs had reversed the cosmetic changes called for by their recent away mission, and he was almost back to normal. Almost, but not quite. Granted, he no longer looked like a Romulan, his temporary lightened skin had finally gone back to its normal rich brown, and his ears no longer tapered into points. His neatly trimmed goatee was coming in nicely as well, but his hair. Catan ran a hand over his head in frustration, alternately studying his left and right profile. The mane of black hair that he wore in a ponytail since childhood had been sheared off to match the page boy style commonly worn on Romulus. Upon his return to Tiberius, the barber had tried to shape the remaining hair into something more in keeping with Starfleet regs, which had left him with a short, military cut. Catan doubted that he would ever get used to the feeling of air on his bare neck. Without his hair, he almost felt naked. He cursed, then turned and trudged to his room's replicator. Rostog, Rhea, and Earth Vegetable Mix number 9. With a soft, buzzing whir, a covered platter materialized before him. Stomach growling in anticipation, Catan took the platter to his table and sat down. His mouth watered as he pictured himself biting into a tender cut of meat. His concerns temporarily forgotten, Catan removed the lid of the platter with a flourish, then froze in shock. 
Sitting on the plate before him was a mass of sticky yellow tube grubs. The lieutenant slammed the lid back on the platter with a clang and sprang to his feet. Catan shivered in revulsion. Having been raised as a Klingon, he had a firm appreciation for many aspects of his adoptive culture. He had not, however, developed a taste for eating bugs. In fact, during his youth, it had taken roughly a dozen fistfights to convince his peers not to tease him about his fear of gawk. Hell, he even won a few of them. The hint of a smile formed on Catan's face. Good times, he thought. Catan returned the platter to the replicator, and after watching it disappear in the shimmering swirl of lights, turned to exit his quarters. Perhaps I have better luck in five forward. As the door whispered closed behind him, Catan strode down the gently curving hallway. Thinking back on his last visit to the Tiberius' main lounge, he felt his mood steadily improving. Food always seemed to taste better in social settings. Sergeant Mike Tarrant looked down at the holographic game board in front of him and sighed. He couldn't think of a single way to get his entrenched battalion away from the incoming mech group that had almost miraculously appeared, from nowhere, on his rear flank. He looked across the board at the large Orion officer, lazily sitting back in his chair, casually smoking a foul-smelling black cigar and blowing smoke rings across the board. Damn it, Tin! said Tarrant. How the hell did you sneak that group over there? I'm getting tired of losing like this. You sure you don't have the sim licked? Lieutenant Cedric Tain looked over at Tarrant with a look of pure innocence. Now, Mikey, you've known me for near on 20 years. Would I do something like that? Said Tain with a grin. Tarrant glared back at Tain. It's the fact that I've known you that long that makes me ask that question, Lieutenant. Bah! The game is yours. Mike Tarrant ordered the computer to reset the sim. Let's try this again. I've made some interesting changes in the parameters of this map. Well, let's see how you cope, Mudrick. Tarrant grinned as he watched Cedric Tane grimace at the nickname Tarrant had gifted him years ago. You make the first move. As he watched the hulking security officer look over the board and start distributing his troops, he couldn't help but think of the irony of Tane's situation. Tarrant had known Tane when he was a shiny new recruit. The kid was born to be a soldier. Tarrant watched the youngster rise through the enlisted ranks and demonstrate over and over his leadership abilities. Cedric Tain always followed the orders of his officers, from all apparent appearances, although he generally joked of their incompetence with his fellow non-coms. You could always tell the incompetent officers, though. They rarely lasted. Whether it was a request for a transfer or an accident, they never seemed to last long. Tarrant thought it was very ironic that Tane was now an officer himself, something that Tarrant needled him about constantly. Although he wouldn't make a big deal out of it, Mike Tarrant was very pleased that Tane had been assigned to the Tiberius. These days, old friends were hard to come by. The sergeant was jerked back to the present by Tane, announcing that he was done with his setup. It was Mike's turn. As the old sergeant turned to the board to begin analyzing his move, the board seemed to waver. He felt himself getting lightheaded and off-balance. This was followed by a blinding headache. Oh, man, Sedgwick. I feel like I just got a boot to the head. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to call it a game for now and get back to my quarters. <laughs> What's the matter, Mikey? 
Not up for another raising? Cedric laughed. Tane then noticed the look of pain that was written on Terran's face. Oh wow, you do look like you're in pain. Maybe you should head down to sickbay and see if there's anything wrong. The sergeant waved off his concern. <laughs> it's gonna take more than a headache to get this old horse to see those vultures. I'll be fine, just need to get some shirai. You know, it's probably that smoke from that stinking thing you call a cigar giving me a headache. Sergeant Terran elaborately waved the smoke from the air and headed towards the door. I'll be back tomorrow, when I'm off duty to take my revenge on you, Tane. And don't you go messing with any of that setup or that sim, because I'll know if you do. Cedric Tane watched his old friend leave the room, and quickly started looking at the parameters of the game sim. There's nothing saying, I just can't look though, is there? Bloody fool. Tane smiled as he tried to delicately hack the sim, but stopped almost as soon as he started. He told the computer to save the sim, as it was, and sat back in its chair. He couldn't say why, but for some reason he had an unsettling feeling about his old friend. He almost opened a channel to Tarrant to ask him if he was alright, but stopped himself. Ain't nothing wrong with that old goat that didn't come from drinking Synthahol. If I check on him, he's just gonna call me an old doddering nanny. I ain't gonna give him the pleasure, he said to himself. The hulking officer snubbed out his cigar and prepared to hit the sack. The blue-skinned Andorian ran his hands across the science station on the bridge with practiced ease. Assistant Chief Science Officer, Lieutenant Zram, was enjoying a relatively quiet shift at his post. Since coming aboard the Tiberius several weeks before, Zrem had quickly become at ease aboard the starship. Much of this was due in no small part to Commander Savril. They had known each other for several years after meeting on Vulcan during a conference on the teachings of Surak. Savril had found it quite odd to see an Andorian attending a seminar on the logic and discipline of the mind. She had approached Zrem and was shocked to be greeted with a traditional Vulcan hand gesture and salutation of peace and long life. Her experiences with other Andorians had been generally strained. Even though both worlds were founding members of the Federation, their two peoples had an early history of distrust and conflict. He vividly recalled their first meeting as he worked on calibrating the port sensor array. Peace and long life, Zrem said as he parted the fingers on his raised right hand in greeting to the Vulcan woman approaching him. Savril's eyebrow lifted in surprise. And to you as well, Lieutenant... Lieutenant Zrem, science specialist on the USS Shepard. I know it must be a bit of a shock to see me here. I must admit, Lieutenant, I was a bit surprised. The teachings of Surak are not usually subjects I have found Andorians to be interested in. Yes, my people can be fairly narrow in their thinking at times. I, though, have always been fascinated and intrigued by Surak and his message of peace and logic... In fact, I have one of his earliest works in book form right here that I read often. Zrem said as he pulled a large tome out of the bag he was holding. As he moved towards Savril, a nearby bird cried out and Zrem's antenna amplified the high-pitched sound. The lieutenant became dizzy and stumbled, sending him crashing into Savril. He ended up on the ground on top of the young Vulcan. Are you injured, lieutenant? It's just my head. Still a bit dizzy. Those birds have always given me a headache and problems when I visit. Normally I get a hypo-injection before coming to lessen the effects, but I didn't have a chance this time. Then if you're undamaged, perhaps you can lift yourself up. That would make our discussion less... awkward. 
I'm very sorry, Commander. I'm not the most graceful at times. Zrem said as he pulled himself up and helped Savril to her feet. Unless it was your intention to knock me down, there is no need for apology, Lieutenant. She said as her new acquaintance looked away, trying to avoid Savril's stare. Oh no, ma'am. Maybe we should continue our discussion while we eat. Our short rest break will be over in 20 minutes. That would be agreeable. Just then, a flashing light on Zrem's control interface brought him back to the present, and the Tiberius. The sensors were picking up a quasar-like phenomenon, approximately 2.3 light-years away. A quick check of the stellar cartography database revealed that this was an uncharted occurrence. Time to get down to business and stop dwelling on the past. He had to admit that he might not be there working with Savril on Tiberius if that first awkward meeting had not taken place. You should eat something, the holographic woman said, as she and Lieutenant James sat in the engineering section of the Aurora. They had been designing, redesigning, modeling, and fabricating the components for their project. Arya and I just had a big dinner. That was 36 hours ago, Eric. You should try getting some rest. The designs are the best we could come up with. Now that the power cores are gathered and the control matrix is assembled, it's just a matter of assembly and testing. I just want to put together the second sphere. Then I'll get some rest. Eric said as he applied the microwelder to the support frame of the small, orb-like device. He had been up for days now, and it was obvious to anyone who cared to look. The normally clean-shaven officer now sported several days' growth of facial hair. His normally pristine uniform had become wrinkled and had taken a scent, much like the one you would find on a Klingon battlecruiser. It should only be a few more hours, Eric said as he wiped the sweat from his brow. You don't need to do this. Arya and I were well on our way to finishing the units. We just got a little busy with the away mission. Why don't you test the noon modification with the prototype and then we can incorporate the changes to the orbs? That's actually a great idea. Transfer Holomatrix James K9-Alpha to the prototype orb. Make sure that the hardware integrates the physical response subroutines into the matrix. Aurora touched the shoulder of her creator inside. Just go shower, I know what to do. Arik smiled as he jumped from his seat and stripped off his tunic as he headed for the sonic shower. Computer, activate Lakia hologram. Aurora said as she rolled her eyes. Her fingers moved swiftly over the engineering console as she watched Eric enter the head. Aurora smiled as the small tennis ball-sized device chimed to indicate the transfer had been completed. As soon as she had spoken the words, the prototype orb rose and the integrated emitters began to generate a small canine hologram. It had been Arya's dream to name the test hologram after the early Earth canine space explorer. While they continued to process the data, they made modifications to the Alpha and Beta orbs. Aurora smiled as the dog yipped and hopped off the table. She nodded as the tricorder reported that Lakia was no different from a normal canine. That had been her contribution to the prototype. Instead of using standard holographic emitters, she had suggested that they use the Hyrogen Modified Federation design. She stroked the fur of the dog and smiled again as he <laughs> responded to her touch.
Less than an hour after Eric shaved and showered, he found himself walking down the deck of the Tiberius with a small brown and white dog in tow. Telemetry from the prototype was constantly being streamed to the Aurora, but Lakia needed to stay active for as long as possible for him to fine-tune the emitter designs of the scaled-up models. He needed a good place to leave the dog that would keep it occupied, and it occurred to him that children would be his best assistance in the research. Eric found himself pausing at the quarters of the first officer, and pressed the chime. He hoped they would find the dog interesting enough to keep it entertained, while Aurora gathered the necessary data. Seeking peace and solitude, the mother of two left her small children playing with Dennis, the hologram that her husband had created to watch over his family in his absence. Savril finished her tea, entered the privacy of her bedroom, and closed the door. No more than five minutes had passed when her eyes opened suddenly. A rapid succession of shrill barks stabbed at her ears and demanded her full attention. An instant later, Dennis appeared in her room. Who is it? Some guy. You want me to show him to the door? A smile stretched across his face that told Savril that his idea of showing their guests to the door was quite different from her own. No. You sure? Quite. She replied as she got to her feet. The barking continued, resurrecting the dull headache that only recently had abated. Feeling somewhat muzzy, the Vulcan abandoned her meditation to investigate the source of the painful yapping. Standing in the entry to her quarters was Lieutenant James and his small, white dog with a big brown spot on her side. The rude little beast continued barking as the children's giggles grew increasingly louder. Children, children... Marin? Good evening, Commander. Said Eric between shushes as he tried to calm the holographic pooch. Savril cringed at the noise, yet resisted the urge to cover her ears. What is the purpose of your visit, Lieutenant? I thought that the children could use a new playmate. Eric smiled as he continued. Lakia is completely housebroken and well-trained. The pup is also a test platform for a holographic emitter system that we're working on. If we can stabilize the holomatter matrix, we can incorporate the updates into the beta units we're working on. Lakia is as real as we could make the pup. The only feature it's missing is a digestive system, but normal tricorder scans will still register it as organic. Lakia means Barker in Russian, an appropriate name for such a vocal animal. Had Eric considered giving the pup to the children before they designed the prototype, he would have increased the size of the Matrix to support a Selot cub. It would have been a more fitting gift, and if they could fix the Matrix, it could be later updated. <laughs> Counselor Margon picked up his quarters and stopped to stroke the cat's fur. The cat purred and rubbed against him. You're in a good mood. The cat stared up at the counselor as if to say, You don't spend enough time with me. The Boolean counselor had been involved in an intense study of psychotherapy and holotherapy theory. But with all the telepaths in the crew, he needed to know how to treat and help them. It was simpler with non-telepaths to use techniques that he had learned at the academy. After all, he used to be a barber, and the gift of gab is what got him interested in helping people as a counselor. Oh, I've been cooped up too long. I've got to stretch my legs. He instantly thought of the children. 
He and Servril's toddlers had gotten along so well. He thought of a wonderful idea. Computer. Does Savril's children have any allergies? Negative. The counselor picked up Mr. Mouse and held him tightly. Let's go for a visit, Mr. Mouse. The doors opened and Mr. Mouse looked up and mewed. He wasn't used to many trips through the ship and became a little nervous at the onset of their journey. Enter. Her door opened to reveal two half-Vulcan twins. The children, excited at having a dog in their quarters, were quickly under the impression that the cat was a gift as well. Savril glanced to them to see their little faces frozen in eager anticipation. A moment later, Marin shrieked with glee as the dog and the cat locked eyes for a brief moment. Then, unparalleled chaos ensued. Savril pulled her toddlers to her as the cat leapt from Margon's arms and the hollow terrier gave pursuit. The commander grimaced as the beasts knocked over her harp, breaking the fragile instrument in half. The expression on Eric's face was priceless, but not as much as Savril's and the children. Things in the room began falling everywhere as the dog barked and Mr. Mouse ran. It was like a blur of fur through the room. The counselor just stood there with a stunned look on his face. He and Eric met eyes and simply opened their mouths. Mr. Mouse seemed to defy gravity as he bounced off the Vulcan relics on her walls and tore the children's drawings in an attempt to evade the small menace chasing him. Counselor, I did not know you would be visiting. The woman and her two giggling toddlers deftly dodged the two animals as they darted past. I just needed to stretch my legs. I thought the children would enjoy a visit from Mr. Mouse. Said Margon as the cat ran up his leg and held tightly to his vest, his claws now fully extended in the counselor's arm. Savril watched as the cat scaled the counselor and climbed upon his shoulders. Red blood flowed from his blue skin. The Vulcan's eyes widened as she saw that the cat had drawn Margon's blood. Eric apologized profusely and scooped up his squirming terrier. It's okay, no harm done. Except to our first officer's quarters and my arm. I think I'll just take Mr. Mouse back to my quarters. Marin and Naval rushed to the pet dog. Their quick movements once again frightened the traumatized Mr. Mouse. No longer willing to endure the present company, the rotund cat let out a hiss and sprang from his perch on Margon's shoulder to dash into the corridor. Eric tried to restrain the dog, but she flew from his arms, tearing after the feline. The doors closed, leaving Eric and the counselor stunned. Uh-oh. Unable to contain their excitement, Marin and Naval scurried after the animals with Margon and Eric close behind. When the coast was clear, Dennis appeared beside Cyril. Should have had me take care of him. The brawny hologram turned his grin towards the slight Vulcan and quickly recoiled at the sight of the twisted scowl she fired at him. In silence, Cyril surveyed the devastation caused by the furry beasts, drew a slow, deep breath, and calmly exited her quarters. As the doors of Five Forward swept open, Lieutenant Catan's ears were assaulted by what sounded like a party in full swing. The vast room was almost filled to capacity, and there was an eclectic mix of both uniformed and civilian patrons eating and drinking at various booths, tables, and bar stools. At a booth near one of the large viewports flanking the bar, 
he saw a particularly boisterous group. Three uniformed men and women were laughing and pointing at another officer who appeared to have fallen out of his seat. Glancing to the officer sprawled on the floor to the numerous empty glasses and tankards scattered across the table, Catan determined that the synthahol might have played a role in the scene playing out before him. As the tall female officer bent down to help her comrade back to his feet, Catan smiled to himself. The scene reminded him of the mess hall of a Klingon ship, where warriors played with at least as much vigor as they fought. This looks like my kind of group. He thought with a smile and slowly made his way to the booth. As he waded through the milling crowd, he caught the eye of one of the harried waiters. You like it? As the waiter quickly really and efficiently wiped down one of the few unoccupied tables, Catan tapped him on the shoulder. Looking up, the waiter asked, Can I help you, sir? I was just wondering why it seems busier than normal in here. Is there some kind of holiday or something? I wish I knew. Business seems to have really taken off in the last few days. I guess people are just tired of eating in their quarters. Sir. As the waiter rushed off, Catan stepped up to the booth and loudly cleared his throat. <coughs> the tall, dark-haired female officer looked up with a challenging grin. Well, what do we have here? Another yellow shirt? Pull up a chair, friend, and join us, she exclaimed with a smile. As the group broke out into a fresh bout of laughter, the female officer gave him a slap on the back. My name is Tara. I don't think I've seen you around. Did you just transfer here? I'm Catan. I recently transferred here from the USS Ranger. I haven't really had a chance to settle in a routine yet, but my training is in tactical and security. I'm sure that we'll get a chance to work together before too long. I can't wait. I just hope you can keep up. The woman nodded to a glass before Catan. Thanks. Ugh, but I'll pass. I never did like drinking synthahol. Drinking it feels too much like playing make-believe. Who said anything about uh. synthahol? I've got a few connections. Uh. This here's the real McCoy. Pure, unadulterated Saurian uh. brandy. Help yourself. Unless, of course, you're afraid. <laughs> I assure you, it would take more than a couple of glasses of Syrian brandy to put me out. Meeting the woman's piercing blue stare, Catan yes. returned her grin and Focus. took a long pull of the potent drink. Kapla! Eyes stinging from the vapors rising from the brandy, Catan finished it in three determined swallows, then slammed the empty glass on the table. <laughs> The drink blazed a trail of icy fire down his throat, then settled in his stomach, creating a warm, pleasant glow. As the warmth slowly spread from his stomach to suffuse his whole body, Catan was faintly aware of the cheers of his new friends. Nicholas Took began his evening shift at 1800 hours. Being an ensign meant that he worked the Delta shift, but he didn't mind. There were always fewer people around and he could focus on the job at hand. Nick checked his hair one last time in the mirror before grabbing a toolkit and exiting his quarters. As he walked down the corridors, he hummed a tune, something from his childhood that he hadn't heard in years. As he passed fellow crewmen, he gave them a nod and a quiet, Evening. This uh, common hello. gesture wasn't unusual to others, but to Ensign Took, it was a big step. He ordinarily kept to himself, but today, 
Nick was in a good mood. His breakfasts with Captain Quinn were great. Nick and Nathan were becoming closer. He knew he could call Nathan a friend. And to Nick, who spent most of his life with no friends, that was a big deal. Not only was Nathan his friend, but he was his captain. He knew that Nathan didn't have breakfast with them because he felt pity for him. He genuinely enjoyed his company. Ensign Took entered engineering. Good evening, Lieutenant Plummer. Lieutenant Plummer looked surprised and gave Nick a slight nod. She handed him a pad. Well, Mr. Took, today you will be in Jeffrey's tube 36. It seems that one of the gel packs is malfunctioning. See if you can locate the problem. Nick took the pad and gave Lieutenant Plummer a slight salute with the device. You got it, Lieutenant. He said with a smile. Plummer's smile grew as she turned to another crewman who had just entered and was waiting for his assignment. The lateness of the hour, combined with the relative quiet status of the ship's current disposition, allowed Kararth the opportunity for some much-needed time in the holodeck. He preferred late-night sessions where he could have as much time as he wanted to run his simulations, whereas other Klingons used the holodeck to stage mock battles as a form of physical and mental therapy. Kararth preferred the relative isolation and individual challenge of long and perilous quests. This evening, he had spent the better part of four hours in an attempt to run through a recreation of the forge on the planet Vulcan. It presented an entirely new set of environmental challenges that he had never faced, all of which put his strength to the test. Having never been to Vulcan, he looked forward to seeing the real thing upon their arrival. He would have to ask Commander Savril about that. Perhaps she would consider joining him, if her time permitted. Sweat dripping down his brow ridges, sand and dust stains marking his one-piece jumpsuit. He strode down the corridor, having finished his evening's activities. Rather than immediately returning to his quarters, he decided to stop by engineering to see how the new Delta Shift team was doing under Lieutenant Plummer. The doors slid open and he entered his domain. The lieutenant was giving duty orders to a few of the new ensigns. As they took notice of him, he could feel the tension in the room increase made him smile. Even after all they had been through on their last mission, the trial by fire, so to speak, it was good to see he could still keep them on their toes. Ryla Drett looked up to see Dr. Lucas leveling her with an icy stare. The man looked like warmed-over triple feces, but she wasn't about to tell him that. She hated confrontation, and did just about everything she could to avoid its unpleasantness, especially with regards to Dr. I-am-a-jerk. He made it known to the medical staff that he wasn't very fond of happy people, so Ryla decided to avoid his crotchetiness, for fear that it might be contagious. The middle-aged Terran was flushed, and his forehead was beaded with perspiration. He didn't look at all well. <coughs> She had asked if he was ill, but he waved her off with a boorish gesture and continued working. Ryla watched the fresh-faced young officer as he approached the transparent double doors of sickbay. The ensign had a bounce in his step that made her smile. He entered, looked about the room, and approached Dr. Lucas. Ensign took from engineering, sir. I discovered three infected biogel packs. Procedure requires me- I know! Hand them over! Without bothering to look up from his work, Dr. Lucas stretched out his hand to receive the hermetically sealed package that contained the biohazard in question. 
Ryla watched the young man's bright smile fade slightly. It was then she decided to intervene. The young ensign glanced at Ryla, then back at Lucas, who happened to be shooting daggers at the trill who had intercepted the biogel. She ignored Lucas's heavy glare. Ensign Took sidestepped the frigid Terran, who had been so rude, and followed Dr. Drett. While Ryla scanned the biogel packs, she looked up at Ensign Took, who felt Dr. Lucas's eyes on his back, and turned to glance at the course physician. She glanced up to see Dr. Peterson rubbing his temples once more. Headaches weren't common, and she was beginning to worry about him. She set down her medical tricorder and strode across to his office, on the opposite side of the room. He glanced up and smiled as she knocked on the translucent wall. Please, come in. While continuing to massage his temples, Dr. Peterson shifted his eyes back to his report. What do you make of these findings? The virus is changing so rapidly that my scanner can't keep track of the variations. Dredd examined the microscan and witnessed the rapidly replicating organism. This virus is unlike anything I have ever come across. Please repeat the tests on the gel pack as soon as possible. Let me know the result of your second analysis. I'll be in my quarters for the next few hours. Notify me of the results when they're ready. Aye, sir. Part 2 of Star Trek Boldly is coming soon. Playing the part of the narrator, the voice of the computer, and Commander Savril, Jen, co-host of the Ready Room Microcast and the Anomaly Podcast, Captain Nathaniel Jacob Quinn, played by Kenny, co-host of the Ready Room Microcast, found at treksandsci-fi.com, Dr. Casey Peterson, played by Nathan P. Butler, host of the Butlerniverse, and founder of StarWarsFanWorks.com. Counselor Margon, played by Rick Moyer, co-host of the Ready Room Microcast. Lieutenant Cedric Tain and Dr. Lucas, played by Trex and Sci-Fi Forum member Vartok. Dr. Ryla Drett and Lieutenant Tara Stass, played by Angela, co-host of the Anomaly Podcast. Lieutenant Mike Tarrant, Meds, host of the Waffle On podcast. Lieutenant Catan and Dennis the Hologram, played by Jen's brother, Billy. Lieutenant Plummer, played by Michelle, Billy's fiance. Lieutenant Zrem, played by Rico, host of the Trexan Sci-Fi podcast. The Ten Forward Waiter, played by Edward Woodward III, host of the 23rd audio drama. Ensign Nicholas Took, played by Trex and Sci-Fi Forum member Billy Bob 476 Lieutenant Eric James played by Daryl, the tip giver on the Instance Podcast The Aurora Hologram Rory, played by Casey, regular contributor to Casey Geek Chic at blogspot.com All music used in this drama was composed and performed by Nathan and Rick Moyer and Kevin McLeod. For links to these podcasts, blogs, and musicians' websites, please visit anomalypodcast.blogspot.com and leave your feedback there or on the Trexan Sci-Fi Forum.
Last time on Star Trek Boldly. Are you okay, number one? At that, the last visage of a smile dissolved into her typically stoic air. I don't know. Underneath the mask of impassiveness, she felt embarrassment. Her brow furrowed as she looked down at the mess that she had made on the table. Oh, man, Sedgelek. I feel like I just got a boot to the head. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to call it a game for now and get back to my quarters. <laughs> What's the matter, Mikey? Not up for another raising? Eric tried to restrain the dog, but she flew from his arms, tearing after the feline. The doors closed, leaving Eric and the counselor stunned. Uh-oh. Unable to contain their excitement, Marin and Naval scurried after the animals with Margon and Eric close behind. When the coast was clear, Dennis appeared beside Cyril. You should have had me take care of him. The brawny hologram turned his grin towards the slight Vulcan and quickly recoiled at the sight of a twisted scowl she fired at him. Well, Mr. Took, today you will be in Jeffrey's Tube 36. It seems that one of the gel packs is malfunctioning. See if you can locate the problem. Nick took the pad and gave Lieutenant Plummer a slight salute with the device. You got it, Lieutenant. He said with a smile. Ryla Drett looked up to see Dr. Lucas leveling her with an icy stare. The man looked like warmed-over triple feces, but she wasn't about to tell him that. She hated confrontation, and did just about everything she could to avoid its unpleasantness, especially with regards to Dr. I'm-a-jerk. He made it known to the medical staff that he wasn't very fond of happy people, so Ryla decided to avoid his crotchetiness for fear that it might be contagious. The middle-aged Terran was flushed, and his forehead was beaded with perspiration. He didn't look at all well. <coughs> Please, come in. While continuing to massage his temples, Dr. Peterson shifted his eyes back to his report. What do you make of these findings? The virus is changing so rapidly that my scanner can't keep track of the variations. Dredd examined the microscan and witnessed the rapidly replicating organism. This virus is unlike anything I have ever come across. Please repeat the tests on the gel pack as soon as possible. Let me know the result of your second analysis. I'll be in my quarters for the next few hours. Notify me of the results when they're ready. Aye, sir. Before the USS Arabella graced the void, Captain Nathaniel Jacob Quinn commanded a mighty Akira-class starship known as the Tiberius. She was a beautiful vessel, crewed by an eclectic group of explorers who discovered strength in their diversity and courage amid tribulation. This is a telling of their valorous deeds and valiant sacrifices as they boldly faced their darkest challenge. Thank you. Mouse. Here, Mouse. Come here, here girl. Kitty, kitty, kitty. Come back. It's just a holographic representation of a canine. It's not real. What's going on? The corridor of the Akira-class starship shuddered from slight random shifts in the gravity level as the lighting flickered intermittently. Eric and Margon moved rapidly after the holodog and its prey as they turned into a completely darkened section of the ship. Leaning on one of the dimly lit walls for support, 
The lieutenant called out to the canine that had halted before a completely shadowed section of the hallway. Warning! Depressurization detected. Deck two. Came the slower than normal voice of the main computer. Only a few meters behind the two officers, the blue flicker of a containment force field was the only hint of possible danger. Lakia return. Eric spoke towards the animal in an elevated voice. Upon hearing the command, the small dog quickly turned to face him and eagerly moved to his side. If the computer was correct, they were losing breathable atmosphere from somewhere in the section they were currently occupying. I wish I could get my cat to come back like that. Is it me? Or do I feel a slight loss of gravity? Change to engineering. Eric said quickly after tapping his comm badge, only to receive a short series of chirps that informed him of an inability to contact the department. Reaching out with his mind, he tried to directly interface with the systems, only to be met with an almost mind-numbing static. Eric quickly pulled his thoughts back to himself and looked at the counselor. It seems that shipboard communications are down in this section. Eric said as he wiped his fingers across his brow. Great, said the counselor sarcastically. Lakia stood almost motionlessly at the lieutenant's feet as he pushed himself from the wall. With the gravity reduced, Eric found that the slight push from the wall almost sent him crashing into the other side. Down the hall, the counselor and lieutenant could see the fingers of crew members as they attempted to release themselves from non-functional doors to their quarters. With the main computer not responding to his comm badge, they would have to manually alter the transmission frequency in hopes of getting help. In an almost comical moment, Mr. Mouse floated towards the counselor. He quickly scooped the feline into his arms and embraced him. You okay, little fellow? The cat just clung to him. The gravity came back on, slamming objects and people to the floor. Cries for help came from several quarters, and then the gravity was lost again. Looks like we need to help people, Lieutenant. Perhaps we could get communications working so we can beam us out of this section. Margon tapped his comm badge, but to no avail. Try that metal thing you do again. I'm afraid I'm not much for frequency modifications, but I can see if people need help. Eric nodded to Margon as he focused his thoughts on the two comm badges and worked to alter their transmission frequencies. What should have been a minor effort was quite taxing to the lieutenant, and after several seconds, the increasing levels of pain forced him to pause his work. I'm still getting some sort of interference, Eric said as he clung to the wall and held his now throbbing head. It would take more time trying to mentally adjust the devices than it would to just find the tools they needed to help their trapped colleagues. Eric knew that if he could just get the badges adjusted, he could open a channel directly to the Aurora and begin moving the injured and trapped to better sections of the ship. Without a tricorder, Eric had no clue how fast they were venting atmosphere, but he did have the dog. Lakia, one bark for yes and two for no. Eric said as he glanced down at the holographic canine. Is your connection to the Aurora still active? His pain subsiding a bit, Eric nodded once. He could use that connection to contact the shuttle. In his current state of distress, he couldn't even reach the shuttle with a direct mental connection. Do your sensors indicate atmospheric loss? Eric smiled as he slumped against the wall. There was still a danger, but it wasn't as critical as he first imagined. They still needed to help people, and that was the priority. 
Eric moved on shaky feet as he followed the counselor deeper into the darkened section. His pain would have to wait. There were people that needed them. Captain Quinn quickly strode down the corridor headed towards engineering. This new development in the gel packs could be devastating to the ship if it spread. As usual, Nathan Quinn's mind was racing, and he could hear the voices of the entire crew in his mind. Then suddenly, everything went quiet. Nathan stopped in his tracks, and panic started to creep into his heart. But then, the murmur was back. Quinn drew a deep breath, shook his head, and continued down the hallway to engineering. As he entered, Lieutenant Commander Carrarth spotted him and approached. Commander, there might be a problem. I'm sure you are aware of the three infected gel packs that Ensign took removed from Jeffrey's Tube 36 earlier this morning. Carrarth nodded. It's more serious than your average malfunctioning gel packs. They are infected with some sort of virus and replicating at an extraordinary rate. I have sickbay working on what type of virus and how to fix or cure it. We need to check every gel pack on board and make sure there are no others infected. If we don't catch this soon, it can have catastrophic consequences for the Tiberius. Ever since their first use in the Intrepid-class vessels, he'd been wary of the biomedical gel packs. Anything that couldn't be repaired with a hydrospanner or a good old-fashioned wrench was never to an engineer's liking. He couldn't very well send a warp core to sickbay, could he? He glanced over his shoulder at the clearly nervous Lieutenant Plummer, who stayed well beyond her duty shift following Ensign Took's discovery. Lieutenant Plummer, begin a level one diagnostic of all systems. Report any anomalies. Very good, Commander. Please keep me informed of your progress. As Quinn started to leave, the ship shook violently. What was that? He asked as he turned back to Kararth. Status! Kararth bellowed across engineering. Depressurization detected. Deck 2, Section 21. Containment fields are holding, came a worried response from Lieutenant Plummer. Kararth noted the concern on his captain's face. Quinn's hands were pressed to his temples. I want a rescue and repair team dispatched now. We may have crew stranded behind the field. Aye, sir. This way, follow me. Marin and Naval walked beside their mother as she patiently explained why they should never leave their quarters without her. Her son started to articulate his reasons for chasing the animals when the lights abruptly blinked out in the corridor. The tall, slender woman reassured her toddlers with soft words as Marin began to whimper quietly. An instant later, a blue force field hummed into life before them, startling the children. I am with you. Everything will be all right. Naval, I need you to release my hand so that I can call for help. The boy loosened his grip reluctantly before transitioning his grasp to the fabric of her pant leg. The commander tapped her badge. Savril to bridge. The comm badge responded with a labored chirp, followed by static. She repeated her call and received the same response, then turned the twins in the opposite direction and quickly proceeded down the corridor. The gravity relaxed, causing the children to stumble as they walked. But soon, Naval's fear was gone, as he discovered he could jump further if he would just let go of his mother's pant leg. The three Vulcanoids continued through the passageway until they encountered Lieutenant James and Counselor Margon. 
Isaac was just about to enter his quarters when the light suddenly blinked out of the corner. He reached his door, but it wouldn't open. The ensign immediately stretched out his mind to his sugar gliders. They were awake and a little frightened. He soothed them, then withdrew. Star Striker to the bridge. He tried to reach out with his mind to the ship, but found it blocked by interference. Deciding that the only solution was to meet up with the fellow crewmen, he headed in the direction that Margon and Eric had gone. Five forward, the decibel level seemed to be rising. Catan lifted his glass in salute to the five other gold shirts sharing the booth. He shouted, then tossed back the glass of brandy. Being accustomed to much stronger bloodline was more or less a staple on Klingon ships. Catan felt confident that he could handle one or two more glasses before he reached his limit. He slammed down his empty glass. One of the officers sitting across from him finished off his own drink, then stood up. He turned to nudge the semi-conscious man that slumped in the seat next to him. As the officer led his blurry-eyed friend towards the exit, the raven-haired woman on the other side of the table moved to occupy the newly vacated seat. She took a moment to refill her glass, then smiled at Catan. One of the two officers sitting next to her gave an exaggerated groan. The officers left, leaving Catan and Tara alone with a still mostly full bottle of Sarian brandy. Catan found himself unable to tear his eyes away from the woman's face. Although he was human, he'd always considered Klingon women to be the epitome of beauty. No doubt a result of his having grown up on a Klingon world. Human women had never seemed to have as much spirit as their Klingon counterparts, but there was something about this woman. At first glance, she was quite simply stunning. Her hair, which flowed around her shoulders like a waterfall of shimmering black silk, seemed to call out for him to touch it. As she smiled at him, he was taken aback by her gleaming, pearly white teeth, which provided a striking contrast to the deep, coffee bronze tan of her flawless skin. As she playfully arched an eyebrow at him, Catan felt as though he was drowning in her shimmering dark blue eyes. But it wasn't just her good looks that had Catan in a daze. The woman seemed to have the heart of a warrior. Something about the way she carried herself. Something about the fearless, joyful manner in which she seemed to embrace life reminded him of the fierce pride embodied by many Klingon women reminded him of his lost love, Kilara. Kitan was brought out of his daze by the sudden, insistent snapping of Tara's fingers just inches away from his face. Snap out of it, buddy. Maybe you need to take it easy on the drinks. Suddenly, the lights in the lounge flickered, then went out. The jovial bantering of patrons abruptly ceased, leaving a stark silence echoing in the tomb-dark room. Seconds later, the lights cut back on, revealing dozens of puzzled, anxious faces looking around in confusion. What the hell? Stas to Security Chief Manriki. Stas to Lieutenant Tane. Consider this a welcome aboard gift. Sorry to cut things short, but I need to report to security. 
Terra slapped the cap back on the brandy and slid it across the table to Catan. Shedding her previous jovial, carefree demeanor, Terra seemed suddenly cloaked in an air of cool professionalism. As she headed towards the exit, Catan couldn't help but steal a last, appreciative glance at her. Catan stood, tucked the bottle under his left arm, and made his way to the exit as well. Suddenly, the ship gave a brief but violent shudder. As shouts of fear and alarm rang out in the lounge, Catan tossed the bottle to a passing waiter and spun to address the crowd. Raising his voice to carry above the din of confused voices, Catan called out, Everyone, please remain calm. As the crowd turned to face him, he donned a mask of calm confidence. The Tiberius was one of the most well-designed ships in the fleet. It would take a hell of a lot more than a little interstellar turbulence to threaten her structural integrity. He added with a smile. As he scanned the room, Catan tried to make eye contact with each of the uniformed personnel scattered throughout the crowd. Listen everyone, I'm certain the captain and the command crew had the situation well in hand. Unfortunately, intership communications seem to be temporarily offline. Enlisted personnel might want to check in with their department heads to see if there are any updates. Everyone else, please, please just enjoy your meals. As the din of the crowd started to return to normal, Catan resumed his march towards the exit. Ryla analyzed the results of her second test. They were the same as the first, except the aggressiveness of the organism had increased exponentially. The trill twisted a lock of hair as she recorded the outcome and tapped her comm badge. The badge made an awkward retort of off-key chirps, followed by silence. She bit her bottom lip, then tried again, only to receive an equivalent response. Dr. Dredd exited her cramped office and strode onto the floor of sickbay. My badge seems to be malfunctioning. Can you use yours? He met her pleasant face with an unenthusiastic gaze and tapped his badge dramatically. It made a similar noise before falling silent. Reticent, Lucas turned his attention back to his work, ignoring the cheerful blonde once more. I'll take that as a no. Dr. Peterson asked me to keep him apprised of my progress on the virus. I'll have to inform him in person. Lucas grunted in reply as Dr. Dredd left sickbay. Ryla was about to announce her presence at Peterson's door when the deck shuddered beneath her feet. A low rumble quickly followed the quake as the lighting flickered about her in the corridor. Trill threw a hand against the doorframe to keep her balance and attempted to signal Peterson by pressing the door chime. Just like the comm badges, it refused to operate. She wrapped her knuckles on the door. Dr. Peterson? Sir, it's Ryla Dredd. A stirring within his quarters met her ears before the door cracked open. Ryla strained as she helped Dr. Peterson manually force it wider. Looks like our fear of a biopack epidemic has become a reality, Dredd, said the CMO in a gravely tone. The physical exertion caused Casey's head to pound once more, and he wandered back into his quarters and lowered himself into a chair. He looked like a hermit to Ryla, for he had grown a five o'clock shadow. His hair was a mess, and he was still wearing his wrinkled, sloppy sleepwear. 
He squeezed his eyes closed as a stab of pain struck his temples. Ryla frowned in reaction. Sir, let me treat your headache. Peterson nodded, and they headed to sickbay together. As they approached the transparent double doors of the medical bay, Ryla could see that Dr. Lucas was standing at her station. When Lucas noticed their approach, he casually left her station and returned to his own. Ryla's eyes followed him as she picked up her medical tricorder and hypospray. The CMO took a seat at his desk and watched as Ryla checked her station. She looked into her microscanner, then abruptly rose wearing an expression of shock. She shot Dr. Lucas a glare and quickly crossed the floor to confront him. Peterson strained to hear their conversation, but Ryla kept her voice smooth and low. What were you doing at my station, Lucas? The molecular surface of the virus is showing protein spikes, so now it's a rhinovirus? You expect me to believe it just morphed into a simple cold? You replaced it, didn't you? Why? Dr. Lucas feigned a look of shock. Then his face transformed into an expression of pain. He attempted to swallow a cough, but it erupted violently as he leaned against the table to brace himself. The trill noticed that the sweat that had beaded on his forehead earlier was now coming down his face in salty streams. Working her jaw in irritation, she flipped open her medical tricorder and passed it over the sickly man. You're running a high fever. Let me help you lay down. She reached for his arm, but he pulled it away with a tug and moved to the other side of sickbay, coughing and choking as he walked to his office. The trill eyed him suspiciously before returning to Dr. Peterson. She scanned the chief medical officer as he sat in his chair. Dr. Lucas is ill and so are you, sir. You both have the virus that has infected the gel packs. Ryla prepared a hypo and administered a pain reliever to Casey. This should take care of the pain. She favored him with a knowing smile before asking him to get into a biobed. He started to protest, but she fixed him with an iron expression. Fine, but just until the pain goes away. He said with a smirk. As Peterson laid back, they both heard a clanging in the back of sickbay. I'll check on it. You rest. Peterson's eyes were beginning to get heavy. What he didn't know was that Ryla had administered a long-lasting, pain-relieving sleep aid. Dr. Drett entered Lucas's small office to find him face down on the floor. Ryla immediately called out for a nurse, and they carried him to another biobed. By the time his head hit the pillow, he was dead. Drett slowly closed her tricorder and cast a troubled glance at the nurse and then towards the unconscious Dr. Peterson. She had no idea how long the CMO had before he too succumbed to the virus. We should test ourselves. Two scans later, and Rilo found them both to be virus-free. We need to inform the captain, but the comm system is down. I need you to find him. Tell him that we may have a larger situation on our hands. Yes, Doctor. Cedric Tane made his way towards Sergeant Mike Tarrant's quarters. Normally, that would have been an easy thing, but with the lights flashing on and off and the ship shuddering, it proved to be quite difficult. Cedric rang the door chime, but there was no answer. 
He knew Tarrant was in there, as he'd called off his shift, complaining that he wasn't feeling well. Tane banged on the door. When there was no answer, he used his security code to bypass the lock. The Orion-Human hybrid walked into the room and was met with the sight of Sergeant Mike Tarrant lying awkwardly on the floor. Tane ran over to his fallen friend. Mike! Mike, come on, Mike! Get up! He checked his friend's pulse and pulled his hand away in surprise. The cold that Tane felt from his hand shot directly to his heart. The only person left in the galaxy that Tane considered family was lying dead on the floor before him. Tane almost broke the combat with the viciousness of his strike. Sick bag. This is a medical emergency. Send an emergency med team to this location immediately. Aye, sir. He could barely hear the acknowledgement over the roar that was building in his head. Tane knew what it was, as he had dealt with it since he was a child. Overwhelming, uncontrollable rage. He fought it the best he could while waiting for the medical team. The lieutenant looked down at his dead friend, and something happened that Tane hadn't experienced since he was a small child. He had actually begun to think that it was impossible for him. It had never happened during all the death and carnage he'd experienced in all of his years in the fleet. As he looked down at his friend, tears rolled down his face. Quinn was heading toward the turbo lift when he pressed his combat. Quinn to Surreal. Captain Quinn to Commander Surreal. It failed to function. He entered the lift. Bridge. It's going to be a long day. Just then, Nurse Galloway approached him, out of breath. Sir, Quinn Dr. stared at the panicked nurse, then began to jog down the corridor towards sickbed. As he ran, his combat harassed to Captain Quinn. Quinn slowed to a fast walk, then pressed the device pinned to his chest. This is Quinn. Go ahead. Sir, we have bypassed the infected gel packs and currently have communications back up. We should have them up and running in no time. Chief Engineer Kararth replied. Thank you, Commander. Please keep me informed of your progress. He looked about main engineering, which resembled in many ways the circulatory system of a large animal. The rerouting of primary systems had resulted in gel pack connections which stretched across the floor, hung above their heads, even wound their way around the warp core. Although effective temporarily in restoring main systems, the chaos of the fix rubbed him the wrong way. Emergency teams had been sent to the affected section to initiate more permanent on-site repairs. The situation remained tenuous, and he hoped that sickbay could come up with the cure for whatever was ailing his ship. Take his arms, I'll get his legs. On three. One, two, three. <laughs> Report, Doctor. Ryla Drett presented the captain with a grim expression and gestured to the patients. Every one of these individuals has been infected with the virus that contaminated the biogel packs. With the exception of the two, the majority of the victims are telepaths, 20 in all. Two of those individuals are human, and both are dead. 
possibly due to the protracted exposure to the virus or weakened immune systems. She walked to a biobed to monitor Easy a new now. patient. There you go. Gwen watched her step away and followed her a second later. Ryla brushed the hair from an unconscious man's face as she continued. Because of the larger number of telepathic patients, I believe the pathogenesis began in one of them. It's too soon to know for sure, but I believe the initial route of entry for this virus was through telepathic contact. It's just a guess, but it's possible the virus spread through a shipwide mental probe, which infected the remaining telepaths as well as the biopacks. This virus is replicating and mutating at an alarming rate, and I believe it has now become airborne and is quickly spreading among non-telepaths. Sir, it won't be long before this situation will become a full-blown epidemic. A thought suddenly struck the trill. Quinn was a telepath, too. She lifted her tricorder and examined him. The medical device whirred as she passed it over the captain. She bit her lower lip and lifted her gaze from the device to meet the captain's green eyes. Sir, you're infected as well. Quinn searched Ryla's face. Yes, I know I've been infected. My telepathic abilities have been dropping in and out. But other than that, I feel fine. Dr. Dredd looked frayed. My specialization is obstetrics, not infectious disease. I don't know if I can cure you or, or anyone else, Captain. Quinn smiled down at the petite trill. I only choose the best for my ship. I have faith in you, Lieutenant. He narrowed his eyes in thought, then raised his brows as the answer came to mind. I might be able to get you some assistance. Captain Quinn to Aria James. This is Aria, Captain. The girl replied. We need your assistance, Miss James. Please come immediately and see Dr. Dredd. Quinn out. The captain turned back to the doctor. Aria is a special crew member and should be of some assistance to you. Please keep me informed of your progress. Yes, Captain. And with that, Quinn exited sickbay. Cedric Tane barely made it to the holodeck. The noise in his head was deafening. He could barely think long enough to punch in the security overrides on the controls and utter the command to begin hollow program Tane Alpha 2. The program was one he had come up with, along with Mike Tarrant. Not only was it an incredibly gruesome program, it lowered the safety lockouts to their minimum. One wouldn't die if they made a mistake and miss some but they might feel like they wanted to afterwards. The grid of the holodeck transitioned into an arena floor. Level and audience preference. Tane was barely able to speak. Level 10. No audience. Level 10. He took a deep breath and advanced towards the figures in the arena. His face had the look of death itself. Ensign Dunn had just finished his first on-ship assignment, assisting in the rescue of crew stranded behind containment fields after a ship malfunction. Exciting stuff, he mused. As he walked towards his quarters, his comm badge chirped to life. Lieutenant Marike to Ensign Dunn. Dunn here, sir. There has been a report of a disturbance in Holodeck 2. Go check it out. Aye, sir. He sighed. Security detail was beginning to more closely resemble Camp Counselor. He turned and walked a short distance towards Holodeck 2. 
As he came around the corner, he heard what sounded like an epic battle going on behind the door. A few crew members were milling about, listening. Dunn stepped up and keyed a security override code to open the locked door. Hopefully, he wouldn't be walking in on some Klingon exercise program run amok. He stepped through the door and froze. Before him was the largest Orion he had ever seen, covered in green blood and with a rage in his eyes that chilled him to the core. He almost forgot to breathe. Through the haze of his rage, Tane saw the doors of the holodeck open and a young ensign step in. The lieutenant had just ordered the program to restart its cycle. He was bruised, battered, and breathing, but the roar in his head had not subsided. As the computer phased in the next opponents, Tane's mind broke the grip that his anger held upon it, and he recognized the danger. Ensign, get that door closed now. The safety features in this sim have been overridden. The Draman soldier that the holodeck had created saw Tane's distraction and took advantage. He brought his energy whip around and landed a vicious lash across the lieutenant's back. Already tired, Tane sunk to one knee and let out a roar of pain. Acting quickly, Dunn slammed the controls on the holodeck and closed the doors, then ran towards the Draman. Freeze program! Override program in effect. Passcode required. The ensign leapt over the kneeling lieutenant and landed a flying sidekick to the Draman's face. The menacing soldier dropped in a heap. The holodeck then phased two more creatures into the arena. What's the passcode? You're hurt and I need to stop this program. Tane heard the young man through the haze of pain he was experiencing. He looked up to see the opponents advancing the ensign. To his credit, the officer looked ready to take them on, although he had a worried expression on his face. Freeze program. Passcode Delta Orion Mike. Croaked the older security officer through his bloody lips. Cedric rose unsteadily to his feet and stopped swaying. With a voice that sounded like two pieces of rusted iron grating together, Tane addressed the ensign. What gives you the right to open that door? Tane glared at the ensign, who quickly came to attention. Sir, my name is Ensign Dunn. I was ordered by Lieutenant Manrique to investigate why this holodeck was operational, since there have been multiple ship malfunctions and many of the crewmen are confined to sickbay. I thought it might be prudent to override the security code and then do my job, sir. Cedric looked over the ensign, standing ramrod straight. As the words Dunn spoke sank into his brain, he felt the rage start to fade away. He felt sickened by his weakness. Here, the ship was in danger, and he was in the holodeck. He still felt the sting of his friend's death as a physical pain, but he knew he was past the worst. All that was left now was the task of dealing with the loss. He knew work was the best cure for that. Well, Ensign, I guess you do have the right, now don't you? We should probably head out of here. Cedric took a step and almost fell. Mm. I think I might need a bit of help, Dunn. Our first stop needs to be sickbay. Part 3 of Star Trek Boldly is coming soon. Captain Quinn, played by Kenny. Commander Savril and the voice of the computer, played by Jen. Marin and Naval, played by Carly Bell Lombaria. 
Lieutenant Catan, played by Billy Blackman, Dr. Ryla Drett and Tara Stass, played by Angela, Lieutenant Tane, played by Trexan Sci-Fi Forum member Vartok, Lieutenant Commander Karath, played by Devin Cox, Counselor Margon, played by Rick Moyer, Eric James, played by Daryl, Ensign Isaac Starstriker, played by Gerald Wright, Arya James, played by Silas Carter, Dr. Casey Peterson, played by Nathan P. Butler, Lieutenant Plummer, played by Michelle Mock, Nurse Galloway, played by Michelle Mock and Sue Kissenweather, Ensign Dunn, played by Nathan Moyer, Lieutenant Monrique, played by Edward Woodward III, Background Voices, Simon Meddings, Rick Peet, John Bailey, Sue Kissenweather, Jeff Job, Katrine, and Andrew Gilbertson. Theme music by Nathan Moyer. Original score by Rick Moyer of Moyer LLC. Directed, mixed, and narrated by Jen. All hands, this is the captain speaking. Starfleet has confirmed reports that Romulus was destroyed two weeks ago by an ultranova in the adjacent Toba system. The colonies and subjugated worlds that survived are in need of humanitarian aid. Arabella has been assigned to a convoy that will cross the neutral zone in order to provide assistance. We are uncertain of the reception we will receive. But it is, it likely, is likely we will be met with resistance from the Romulan people. They won't want to accept charity from the Federation. But the captain says we should be prepared to accept evacuees and deal with confrontations with rogue members of the military. Security teams will need to be ready at a moment's notice. We'll we begin will begin drills at 0800, 0800 to prepare. Sick bay may be inundated with ill and wounded. I don't want my department to be overwhelmed. Many of you were a part of the staff aboard the Tiberius. You were seasoned veterans. I know you are fully capable of handling this situation. Shields up. Red alert. Captain, our shields cannot take much more. Beyond the neutral zone, the Romulan people suffer in chaos. The Hobus Ultra Nova laid waste to their fractured empire. Stability has crumbled, and infrastructure ravaged. Friend and foe amass in shadows, waiting to pick their bones. Yet the Federation takes nothing but their burdens. These are the voyages of Arabella, the flagship of the Seventh Fleet. Its mission, to defend the helpless, to render aid where needed, to befriend a former enemy, to boldly go where no Starfleet vessel has gone before. For more information on Trexan Sci-Fi, visit the Trexan Sci-Fi website at www.trexinsci-fi.com. This has been a Rico Dodge production.